The scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 69, 30 to 33, and Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 20. Please follow along on your online bulletin or the screen above. Hear now the word of God. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Let the oppressed see it and be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own that are in bonds. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you've eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from flint rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you, and in the end, to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. Amen. Good to see you. New Mercy, 1 p.m. Hopefully you guys are wide awake for a long Sunday sermon. Um, for those of you who are visiting, it's your first time here. We truly welcome you. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors serving here at New Mercy and we really want to highly, highly encourage you that you stop by the welcoming table. They're the um, very anxiously happy people that just like jump on top of you as you're walking down that hallway. Um, they're really nice people. So please go say hi. We want to share a little bit more about our church. And also we just want to get to know a little bit more about you. And if uh, a church for the broken called the restoration, a church like that, a vision like that is a church for you, so please do stop on by and say hello. Starting today, we are actually entering into a new season uh, with um, Thanksgiving around the corner and Christmas coming up. For the next few weeks, we will be focusing on a new sermon series, as you see the banner up there, called The Power of Gratitude. So we will be talking about um, gratitude, Thanksgiving, what it actually means, how it impacts our life and how God calls us to always live a thankful life and uh, what does the scripture actually say about such thankful life. So I just want to invite you this morning to, as we enter into a new sermon series, uh, just bow your heads and pray with me again as we invite the Spirit to join us. Lord, we thank you. We love you. You are a good, gracious God and we just give you all glory and honor as you give us the Sabbath, a holy day, holy time, set apart for you. So, Lord, be with us in your presence. May your spirit move. May you continually help us to become more thankful individuals and community. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So past couple weeks, there's been a phrase that you commonly hear due to Halloween, and that is trick-or-treat. And let me be the first one to tell you guys, I really, really wouldn't mind if Halloween just disappeared altogether. I'm not a big fan. Uh, But for the past few weeks, you know, I have two children, six and a four-year-old, so they're trying to buy costumes, and I took, uh, along with my brother, two of his boys and my son out for trick-or-treating for the first time. And here are a few reasons why I don't like Halloween. First, it probably has something to do with the fact that Halloween was the first time I learned about taxes. Um, I remember my brother and I, when we were younger, we used to go around and collect tons of candy. Soon as we'd come back home, the door would open and my parents would be sitting there at the sofa waiting for us. And we would have to dump out all of our candy and there's tax. So I would have to give one-third to my mom, one-third to my dad, and I would keep one-third. But the other reason why I really don't like Halloween is it just, I mean, at this juncture in my life, I mean, I get that as a kid you would like Halloween, but this season of my life, I'm like, I have to take kids outside in freezing cold, right? They're wearing costumes. We're going door-to-door to neighbors that we don't even know, and we're just asking for little pieces of candy when I can just go to Target and just buy $20 you know, candy and just give it to them and just call it a day. But we were out Halloween night, first time, Benjamin, my six-year-old son, extremely excited, knocking door to door. And I remember going around with my brother thinking, what am I doing? It's freezing outside. <laughs> and this is not fun. And I remember at that moment, um, I remember thinking, man, I should be thankful though. I'm healthy enough to walk around with my son And I guess, I guess this could be a fun time, and it's a matter of perspective. So I had this weird feeling of kind of, I should feel thankful, maybe blessed that I have this opportunity to go around with my son and my um, nephews. But at that time, it also helped me to think about kind of thankful moments I had growing up. For some reason, or another, I started to go down memory lane. I started thinking about past memories of when I was a child growing up, some of the thankful, blessed moments that I had with my parents. None of them included Halloween, but let me share with you this morning another incident, an episode that I had, especially with my father, when I really felt thankful in the hindsight. When I was a junior in high school, I was a pretty studious student, And I went to class, I was eager to learn, eager to get good grades, and I was just an obedient student, didn't cause too much ruckus. But junior in high school, um, I was playing cello in orchestra, and we had this weird system in my school where if you played an instrument, you had to go for lessons um, one time a week. So you would miss a class once a week, and it would rotate on a random basis So the class that you miss, you just have to make up the work the day after. Well, when I was a junior, there was a class I really didn't like called geometry. And I was excited that day to miss geometry so that I can go to my cello lesson. But the problem was, the day after when I came to school, I found out from my friends who were in the first class geometry class, which was the same teacher, same course, same exams, right? I found out that they had a pop quiz. And having missed the class before, and I didn't review what I missed the night before, having come to school, finding out there's a pop quiz, and 
being really eager student, didn't want to get a bad grade. I found once I found out there was a pop quiz that I have to take in the seventh period, I started kind of panicking. And now look, like looking back, right? Even you guys, you look back high school days, you're like, it's just a pop quiz. What's the big deal? Well, for me at the time, it was a big deal. So, being a studious student, I've never missed a day of class, believe it or not, since elementary school. So junior, I started thinking, there's no way I can get out of this pop quiz. So I went to the nurse's office and faked that I was sick. I told the nurse, I was like, look, I never miss class. I'm not making this stuff up. I know my temperature is not high, but I just feel dizzy and I need to get home. So the nurse called my parents. My father came. And the way our high school building was structured was there was a one-way kind of street that went in around the circle front of the school so you would come in, drop the kids off, and then go out the other. My dad came frantically, picked me up. And to his surprise, as his sick son came into the car, what I guess he expected was a son that's never missed a school. He must be really sick. But I was so happy. I was like, I'm a genius. I got into the car, and I started smiling and laughing. And so my, as my dad's driving off, he's like, what happened? You're not sick. And I told him the truth, thinking that he would understand. And then next thing I know, the car is not taking a right turn out of the parking. It loops around, comes right back to point zero, and he says, open the door. He's like, get out. I was like, what do you mean get out? I told the nurse, I'm sick. He's like, I don't care. That's your problem. Get out. Go back to school. Tell the nurse what happened, that you lied. I'm going to go back to home. I was like, you're the worst dad ever, right? So at the time, obviously, I wasn't thankful because I had to go back to the nurse, explain to her what happened, and then I had to take that pop quiz, which I didn't fail, but I think I got a D plus on it. So I barely passed. Um, and I remember being so frustrated at my father. But in the hindsight, as I'm standing there in freezing cold while my kids is running around receiving candy on Halloween night, I don't know why this memory just popped up. And I remember feeling thankful about the small and big lessons that my father and my mother had taught me over the years. And the thing is, if you want to be thankful, you want to have true gratitude, the thing is you have to remember and remember well. Because our memories, remembering is intrinsically tied to gratitude. You want to give thanks, then you have to remember what had happened. All the people who have invested in you, the moments in your life, that you remember well because somebody gave something to you. Somebody fed you. Somebody loved you and cared for you. And you are filled with this gratitude and you want to say thanks. Then you have to remember those moments and who those people were. So in a weird way, I remember thinking all that night, Halloween night, thinking about gratitude. Moments when I was thankful when I was growing up, when, when I was a child, all these people who invested in me. In order to have genuine gratitude, we must remember well. And that's exactly what David is saying in Psalm 69 today. Psalm 69 is a song. Psalms are a collection of songs that David sings unto God. And as we read today in verse 30 to 33... He starts off this verse like this. I will praise the name of God with a song. And here's the first line of the song. I will magnify him 
with thanksgiving. I will magnify with thanksgiving. What does that mean? There are two ways to define magnify, right? Two ways to understand the word magnify. One is kind of like how we think of the word magnify through uh, when we use microscopes. We see something so tiny, things that we can't even see with our naked eye. It's so small that we need to magnify. Something so small, make it seem bigger, right? Make it seem bigger so I know what I'm looking at. But the second way to think about magnify is through a telescope. We see something very far. Stars, galaxies, planets. It's huge. It's so much bigger than our comprehension, but I can't see it because so far. So I use this thing called telescope to magnify what it is. So in that case, I'm looking at something really, really big and grand. But because of my limits and where, how far I am, I have to use this tool to make something big as grand as it actually is. So when David says magnify in thanksgiving, he is not saying, I will make a small God look bigger than he actually is. Right? He, what he means by is, I will make a big, grand God begin to look as big as he really is. We are not called to be microscopes, but telescopes. To magnify who God really is. But suppose that we have seen and do remember well of all the things that God has done. What sort of response will actually magnify him the best? Well, David says it right there in that verse. I will magnify with thanksgiving. When we give thanks to God from our hearts, God is magnified. When you thank somebody You're magnifying them for the work that they've done, the moments and experiences that you had with them, or who they are in your life. You're saying, you know what? Thank you for who you are and what you've done for me. So you magnify. You allow yourself and others to see how big that person or that action actually was. Our text in Psalm 69 answers, I will magnify God with thanksgiving. Gratitude glorifies God. Gratitude points towards God, and gratitude places God above anything and everything. So when you say thank you, it actually magnifies the other. And that is the purpose in which we live, to magnify our Lord. But there's a problem, and it's not a small problem. Because the human nature, default of human nature, all human beings, it doesn't matter who you are, is not to magnify God. Our desires, default desire, is not to magnify God. It's to magnify ourselves. Day in and day out, I don't wake up and say, I got to magnify God. I wish I could. But the default is, if I don't consciously make this effort, what I do is I magnify myself. Oh, look at the school I went to. I was a great student. I'm an amazing husband. I'm an amazing father doesn't have to be true, right? Because why? It's all subjective. In my mind, I magnify myself to make myself seem so grand and amazing. Don't we all do that? The sad thing is, and the big problem in our lives is that human default mode is to magnify ourselves. So we keep looking at the things we've earned. My job, my school, 
my grades, my work, my worth. It's all things that I've built up. I did this. I earned it. And therefore, what do we do? We forget to magnify God. We forget the memories of all the grace and love and care that God had already provided in our life. So, there is a problem here. The deterrence for thanksgiving is that we selfishly forget who God is and what he's done in our lives. If you look at our second passage today, Deuteronomy chapter 8, 10 to 20 is what we read, but it starts from actually verse 1. Here, we see the verb to remember over and over again. In fact, exact opposite, we also see the verb do not forget. Remember, do not forget. Remember, do not forget. Why? Because we must remember how amazing God is and what He has already done in our life. We need to remember and not forget in order to magnify God. And that's exactly what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The book is really made up of three sermon series that Moses preaches to the Israelites. And we're just reading a small part of a sermon here in chapter 8. But this sermon is really about thankfulness. Moses is standing before the Israelites. This is the context in which the passage happened. And he's preaching to them and saying, Hey, we're at the cusp of entering into the promised land. And here's what I want to tell you. Do not forget and remember. Remember well. It almost turns into a warning. If you read the passages around verse 17, 18 to 20, it turns into a warning because he starts to say, if you forget, if you forget, then dot, dot, dot. We look at Moses and, and we see a man of faith. And Moses rightly teaches his congregants, the Israelites, before entering into the promised land. He says, look, you've, we've forgotten so many times throughout the desert, wilderness, you've forgotten. So we complain to God, where's our food? Some of you guys even been saying it was better when we were in Egypt as slaves. And what he's saying in the sermon is, don't forget. And he starts listing. Remember this? Remember we were all slaves in Egypt? Do you remember what slave life was like? Do you remember when we woke up? Do you remember taking orders from the master? Do you remember what happened when you didn't listen? Do you remember we scraped for food? We had no freedom. Do you remember when we got out of there with the ten plagues and the staff thrown on the ground, turning to snake, all this stuff? Remember? We were free from the Pharaoh. Oh, you forgot. We were in the wilderness. Yeah, it sucked. But hey, God provided manna. You said you were hungry? God provided food. He's saying, look, we might have been in 39 years of wilderness. But finally, we're right here before entering the promised land. And he's worried. Why? Because he knows the problem. The problem of human default mode. To magnify ourselves and forget to thank God. So he says, remember what had happened. So he's preaching. He's preaching. And I feel like Moses is preaching to us, reminding us, 21st century Americans living in this tri-state area, the same message that he preached to the Israelites. 
remember. Some of you, some of us, we're going through a season of tragedy. Hurtful times, difficult times. And you say to yourself, but I have nothing to thankful for. My life sucks right now. This is not going well. That's not going well. I asked God for this. He's never answered. I asked for this. I need this. It's not even want. I need this, but God's not giving it to me. And you complain. And we look at Moses and we say, look, Moses, of course you're going to be thankful. Of course you're going to preach about thankfulness because you're not only a pastor or leader of the pack, but you've seen God face to face. You had that power. You saw the plagues. You saw the sea split open and you saw the power and the works of God. Of course you have to be thankful. If you're thinking that way, let me give you a fuller picture of what's going on in Moses' life. You think Moses was at a happy place here, preaching this? No, he wasn't. This was perhaps the most tragic moment in his life, most difficult moment. He, he was He had the right to be angry and frustrated at God. Why? He's 120 years old. He's let the Israelites out because of the promise and the covenant God's given him. And somewhere through the 39 years of wilderness in the desert, God provided yes and all this stuff. But somewhere down the line, God says, Moses, you're not going to enter the kingdom kingdom in the promised land that I promised you. I know you travel for 40 years, but you and your generation, the first generation that came out from Egypt, you're not going to get into the promised land. You're not going to taste the milk and honey of the promised land. Do you think he was like, oh, thank God. You think he was in a good place in his life? I'd be devastated. Imagine 40 years of your life, God had promised you something, and you were working towards it, and then God says, look, I promise you, your people, the promised land, but you and your generation, unfortunately, can't enter the, kingdom, the, the promised land. Imagine how angry and frustrated you would be. In that juncture, Moses still preaches to himself as well as to the Israelites. Be thankful. Be thankful. How? By remembering. I don't know what season of life you're in. Maybe things are going really well. You know, you found, you know, an amazing boyfriend, girlfriend, and maybe you're engaged, maybe you're pregnant, or you got a job promotion, you got a new job. Things are going amazing. You got a new car, whatever. Maybe not so. Maybe things are not going well. It's everything you didn't want, but it's happening. Either way, God says, you thank me. (laughs) Thanking me is not dependent upon what's happening and what's going on in your life, but you thank me because I gave you this life. I've provided for you in so many ways, in your desert, in your moments of need, in your moments of hunger and thirst. I provided that manna in so many different ways, and yet we don't remember and we forget, therefore, We don't give thanks. And to us, I hope this is a message, a strong reminder, perhaps a warning from Moses to us 
that stop being selfish, stop forgetting, and remember God and remember Him well. In a novel entitled 100 Years of Solitude, Gabriel Garcia Marquez tells the story of a small town in South America. And in this novel, the name of the town was called Macondo. Macondo was a small little village that was surrounded by swampland, so it was very solitude uh, place that no one really went in, no one really went out. And in a little village of Macondo, as they're living their life, one day a small little girl comes over and knocks on the door of a family. And when this family opens the door, realizes there's a small uh, girl from another town over, and this is very unusual. So the family invites her in and starts asking what's going on. This girl is sweating. She's panting. And you can tell that she's been running from something. And as she catches her breath, she shares to the family, I ran over here because everyone in my town are dying or going crazy. Why? Because there's been a plague. Well, what kind of plague? Not a plague that makes us ill and kills us right away, but the outbreak of the plague was caused by insomnia. No one can sleep. This plague had hit, the, hit her town, and everyone just lost sleep. So over the, over the period of time, people started going crazy. So she ran away. Unfortunately, this family started to be affected by this plague because she had brought over the virus. And the little village of Macondo is just like wildfire. It spreads this um, insomnia. And at first, people believe that maybe the plague isn't too bad because we don't sleep much, but that means we have more hours to work and do the things that we like. But then soon, obviously, their health starts deteriorating. But more important than that, because they're not sleeping, people start losing their memory. So people began to forget things. For example, they forgot the names of the tools. So to resolve this issue, they start writing little notes. Hammer, right? Chair. Cow. Pig. And then they realize that they might forget what these tools or things are for. So they start making more elaborate signs. For example, the sign they hung around the neck of a cow read like this. This is a cow. She must be milked every morning so that she will produce milk. And the milk must be boiled in order to be mixed with coffee to make coffee and milk. And to ensure that they never forget, right, that they don't forget where to go, people went out to the front of the town, the village, and they put up a sign, said on the middle of the road, this is the village of Macondo. And underneath it, somebody put up a sign perhaps a reality most necessary in life that they might forget, something that they might have been most fearful about. Sign read, God exists. Thus they went on living, Marquez writes, in a reality they captured momentarily in words that described what was most necessary for life, that this is our town and God exists here. Unfortunately, novel doesn't end with a happy ending. Um, I won't ruin it for you, but it goes something like, because you're losing memory, eventually they lose the memory of letters and they can't read anymore, so none of these signs begin to matter. Similarly, 
As the years passed, the Israelites grew careless and cynical about their faith, and they forget. As Walter Brueggemann once said, prosperity and comfort causes amnesia. We forget why we have these things. And look, I hope none of us forgot how to read. We know our letters. We know the tools. I know where I put them. I know who these people are. But ultimately, what are we forgetting? We're forgetting that all these great things in our life, all these great people in our lives, it's from God. So perhaps here's a solution. Maybe we need to go around and put sticky notes on things around the house. This is an alarm clock. I was able to buy it on this date for twelve fifteen, And that $12.15 I received, I got it from because this job, which God allowed me to have through the, these people, through this school, dot, dot, dot. Or perhaps we need to find our Bibles and put some sticky notes on that or Bible apps and put a note, something like this. This is a Bible. Bible is a book filled with stories of people who have met God. Those people are our people. Those stories are our stories. We read their stories because we want to remember who God is, who we are, and what we believe, so that we will know how to live in thankfulness. Maybe then, maybe then we will give thankfulness to our Lord just a little bit more. Maybe then we won't forget so easily. One afternoon, a shopper at a local mall felt like she needed a break, so she visited a coffee shop. She sat down, she ordered her coffee, and she pulled out her magazine, and she was just so joyful and happy that she can have this alone time. As she's reading her magazine, she reached out for her coffee, and then she started to reach out for her cookies on the table, so she grabbed one. And as she's about to put it in her mouth, she realized that something weird was happening. A strange man who was sitting across from her, reading a newspaper, put his newspaper down. As she reached out for her cookie, he reached out for a cookie himself. She thought, well, it's kind of weird, right? So as she's reading, she grabs another cookie off the table. And the man, the stranger, puts his newspaper down and grabs himself a cookie. So by the third cookie she grabs, and he grabs his third cookie, she's furious. Who does he think he is? Those are my cookies. You didn't even ask, and you're just taking them? And then she saw that one last cookie on the table, and as she quickly tried to grab it, this man got to the cookie before her, took it, broke it in half, and offered her (laughs) one half. As he put the half into his mouth, he walked out the door. Now she's really angry. She's like, what just happened? Right? He just took three and a half of my cookies, and the last cookie, she, he broke it in half and offered me half, and he ate it. He didn't say a word. He just left. In her fury, she goes into her book bag and tries to grab her phone so she has to tell her friend what's going on. And there in her bag, she realizes there's a, her bag of cookies. That's how many of us live our life. If we're honest, we think, we feel, it's not true, but we feel and we think that God comes, 
grabs things from our bag and takes it away. God, that's my cookie. I made it. I bought the ingredients. I read how to make it, and this is my cookie. I packaged it. I brought it to a cafe. I wanted to drink it with my coffee. And we yell at God. We get furious and we get angry. We say, God, why are you putting your hand in my things? But it's really not ours. Some of us think that the education that you receive, the parents that you have, the amazing memories that you have, the relationship that you're in, things that you've earned, the jobs, the money, everything, you think you earned that. I think I've earned it. Moses, David reminds us today, those are God's. God gave it to you graciously. So remember when you were in sixth grade, you asked for something so small, and it became true. We've forgotten those moments. When I was 13, I came to a revival, and God really stirred my heart, and I convicted my life. And I was convicted, and I gave up my life to, to the Lord. We've forgotten that. When I got into a relationship and dating or married, I, I told myself, God, I thank you so much for this amazing person in my life. And For some reason or another throughout the years, you forget how thankful you should be for this person in your life. And yet, what do we do? The moment God doesn't listen to our prayers, the moment we have to become patient and we have to wait for the things that we want and need, let alone when God comes and takes things away because it's not good for us, we yell at God and we say, that's mine. You have no right to come into my bag. And God reminds us today, through the words of David, through the preaching of Moses, be thankful. Live a life of gratitude. How? Remember and remember well what God has already done in your life. How we often think about God is taking away things that I've earned, that I've created, But if we were truly to be honest with each other, with ourselves and God, nothing good in our life came because of us, came from the hands of the gracious God who loved us so much, said, I'm going to create you and I'm going to pour out my life into you. I want to challenge you in your mercy 1 p.m. How many of us really can say we're living a life of gratitude? How many of us can say we're consciously making an effort to say thank you? Lift up God and magnify him. Let's pray. We're going to do a simple exercise in prayer this afternoon. And I want to ask each one of you to close your eyes. And as we pray to God, I want you to write a thank you note to God. If you were to write a thank you card to God right now, what would you thank him about? Who are the people who would be mentioned in that thank you card? What experiences? What things? So just close your eyes and let's just write this thank you card to our God. Simple. Thank you, God, for... Thank you, God, for these people. Thank you, God, for these experiences. 
Thank you, God, for these things in my life. you to just imagine with me for a sec not not so long ago there were famous people all over the world were polled by a magazine and they were asked this question if you could be granted one wish that will come true right now what would that be and there are many interesting answers that came in but here's one that was so interesting that the editor of the magazine wrote and the response was this I wish that I could be given an even greater ability to appreciate all that I already have. To appreciate so much more for the things that I already have. Not to ask for more. Not to need more. Not to keep asking God selfishly, this is what I want, this is what I need. But rather, to say, God, I want an ability to be able to have gratitude to be able to say thank you and appreciate for the things that you've already done in my life. What would a world look like if we all thought that? What would this church look like if we all had that desire? What would the service look like if we all wish for that? And that's what we pray for. I guarantee you, we would all be healthier. We would be more loving and caring. Your relationship would be more fruitful. You would be more loving and caring people to your parents, your friends, your spouses. We would be happier. The ultimate goal of Thanksgiving is not so that we become happy, but these are the byproducts that we receive. But we are thankful. Why? Because ultimately that makes God happy. Don't you want to please God? Don't you want to live a life that God called us and envisioned how you were to live? Then thankfulness must be at the center of our lives. So I challenge you as we pray together, as we sing together, as we worship together, can we try our best to live a life of gratitude much more than we are doing right now? Let let me pray for all of us. Let us pray. Living and loving God, you have made yourself known to us in many and various ways. We're so grateful today for the written word in which you reveal yourself to us. Keep our eyes open to read it, our ears open to hear it, our minds open to understand it, and our hearts open to feel it. And then may you encourage us so that we may act upon it. Lord, please forgive us Forgive us for complaining all the complaints that we throw at you. 
Help us to be more grateful. Thank you. Thank you, God, for everything you are to us and for everything you do for us. Mostly, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to live among us and die for our sins, that he may resurrect to teach us to live a life that is full of gratitude. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time, those who are able, will you rise and respond with praise songs?